Hello, hello, and welcome to From the Basement Up. My next guest is Nicole Snow, a woman who discovered recycled silk yarn and fell in love with the look and the color of the textile. After doing a little, well, probably a lot of digging, she discovered the people making the yarn needed a way to make a stable and safe living. In 2008, Nicole began Darn Good Yarn, a company that serves as a bridge to artisans who make beautiful yarns and a community of online customers who love not only the look, but the mission behind the products. Hello, Nicole, and welcome to From the Basement Up. Um, I wanted to interview you today because I love what you're doing, and I love the mission of your company. It's really, it, it, it kind of blew me away when I learned about it and heard about it. So, But the one thing I wanted everybody to know is that you started this business with love, and when, you're wa- when you go through your website, it's really apparent and everything that you're doing. And I wanted, I wanted to know like, what that means for you being part of your company. Oh, that's a great question to start on. That's like a boom, like let's, let's get right to it. Um, you know, when I started the company, um, I, I really classify myself as an accidental entrepreneur, like didn't really quite know what I was doing. And um, I just knew I wanted to do good in the world. And I think a lot of times people will say, oh, I want to give back to my community or I want to give back to a you know, greater global good. And the first thing on their list is, um, you know, like a nonprofit and those are amazing, but I, you know, I grew up in a small family business and, you know, watching people level up and go from, you know, making whatever or having, you know, job instability and then creating job stability and creating like a a stable economy um, where the business works now. To me, that's like, I've, I've always felt in my gut, like that's where it really is because when you create stability, it's just like a family, right? Like you create stability and then these other things just start to be side effects of that. I have, I was in the Air Force, I was active duty Air Force. So, uh, you know, with a lot of my training, learning a lot about terrorism and really where on a global scale, like where it comes out of and like what communities, there's super poor communities and when you start to really break down what was happening, I was like, this is like, people need jobs and people need to know they're going to be taken care of by their government. People know that, and what happens is you get these like weird fractional things that wind up taking down the safety and security of um, societies. So I just sort of like went in the dark and figured out and found this yarn originally. And I was like, oh, cool. It's recycled material. So like check one. Mm-hmm. And then, um, cause I've always, I don't know if any of your, um, anyone listening are like crafters, but we're like closet <laughs> hoarders. Like I save everything. <laughs> that's, and that's us. That's us. <laughs> and so like, I, I was like, okay, you know, the recycle thing will resonate like with the right audience. And, um, you know, like, I can use those beads from like that necklace that broke three years ago yeah. and I'm never going to throw that <laughs> oh out. Oh my God. I'm literally knitting my first scarf and I did that. I knit in the beads from my friend's local business that she made bracelets during COVID. So, oh my God, that's, oh my God, you're like <laughs> speaking to my heart. Keep going. So this is, this is exactly it though. So like when you think about, um, so, you know, you're talking about terrorism, something so serious, but then like, as you think about then, you know, what do people need? Like we're all, there's a, so many similarities. I mean, COVID really brought that out. Like we all, very similar immune system like all these other things and you say like 
you know what? People need jobs. They need to know that they feel safe. They need to know that, you know, what they're doing in the world is important. And I just, so, you know, like, this is like love. It's like when you cook something, you know, you put, okay, yeah, you have the recipe. So you can say my business plan was, you know, a basic recipe out of a cookbook, but it's like the adding the love of like, how can we like make sure this is something that really pulls together communities? And that's really, I mean, it's a very long answer of how I thought about business. It was not like, you know, I don't know what to some people on like Instagram were like with their Ferraris and Lamborghinis and the get rich quick kind of stuff. That's mm-hmm. like really prevalent, but I kind of went like the, I went like the Dutch oven, like low, slow cook it kind of way with business. And it has been like very transparently like difficult because it's been a slow growth process, Yes, but it's been very stable and it's been, you know, I've been around now for 14 years. I'm hundred percent self-funded. My husband works for me. Like we're, a, we're truly a family business. I think in a time when like, you know, there's a lot of um, you know, private equity money and stuff like that going around. And it's easy to like, Ooh, it's something shiny. And we're just staying really true to our laurels. So that's starting with love as well. Well, I, I love this. And I think COVID changed me as well in a lot of ways. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm about 15 years old as well, name bubbles. And it was interesting with the team here. I never, you know, I was kind of always like, well, we're just, we're making labels, we're making stickers. And I actually had an employee tell me, she goes, no, you don't understand. This is like the first time I've had like a stable situation and, (laughs) and it feels so good. And I think that that for people starting a business, you don't really think about that so much. And you're commu- you are creating a community in, in your building and, and you're creating a, a huge community. So, um, but that's something I just really want people to be aware of as they build their business. Yeah. You're, you know, you're impacting, you're impacting a lot of people. Providing that safe, happy place to come to is a huge deal. It's, it's a yeah. It's, it's really, uh, it's an interesting, like, I never wanted to hire anyone to just know that the job was disposable six months later. Like, you know, you're in and out like a VA or something like a virtual assistant. How do we keep you around for a long time? And that it's, it feels like a lot of the business stuff I see, especially in social media, like, please do not get all of your schooling on social media on how to run a business because (laughs) it's so like, not, it's not real, it's not sustainable. And a lot of times it's abusive to the environment. It's abusive Mm -hmm. to workers. And um, I remember hearing a stat and it blew me away. Like someone who comes from generational poverty, that's like a lot of people in the US. Sure. They have to be employed for four years full time in order for them to break through that cycle. And like think about like think about what that really means. And you know, I think is like is any if anyone's thinking about starting a business. I started with the goal of I worked with Nepal, uh, women in Nepal originally, and I was like, if I can just do ten, make 10 jobs there, like, because cost of living is different, like that was an achievable goal. Like maybe in the US it's only one or two, but if I can just do that, and that was actually like my first goal, because I said, if I can make my business become a conduit for sustainable and safe employment, it takes on a whole different, it's not like, oh, I'm just selling yarn on the internet. And it's exactly what you're talking about. Like, you know, you're not just selling stickers. It's like they're in labels. It's something much bigger. And those are the businesses that make impacts in community. So I, and I, I, we might need to come back a little bit cause I, we got in deep really fast, but yeah. I'm, I'm just, the one thing I noticed too, you're the, you know, in, in, 
from the basement up is just starting, but you're the third person who has been in the armed services who has then gone home and created something very special. And it, and I, it, I'm realizing, and I really do want to ask, ask, like, as far as, like, your education and then going into the Air Force, how long were you in the Air Force? And and did, do you think that helped shape you going, I need to do more service when I get out? I... Um I was in for two. I was in for two years active duty. I actually wound up getting out um, on a medical uh, because I realized I was dealing with heavy, heavy depression and anxiety, um, self medicating like the whole bit. And I'm super open about it because I went and sought help, and it's been a constant like this is like in front of me, and this is very much a part of me, but like. I have, instead of going like, oh, you know, like I, I have this thing, I'm like, how can I use this to my advantage? And it did take a lot of good therapists and, and medication. Like it's the combination of those things. And at that time in the military, right, I was, I was a reservist um, before 9-11. So we were doing a lot of, a lot more humanitarian missions, a lot of, a lot of work in Africa at the time. So that was actually what I was very drawn to yes. um, serving my country uh, and then 9-11 happened and then, you know, it was, we were at full-blown war and like, I knew what I signed up for. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't, I don't know necessarily, like when I got out, I still was very passionate about helping mm -hmm. and serving um, just other people. Like I really, you know, politics aside, like I really believe our country is one of the best places on earth to live. And we have a lot of opportunities and I'm, I'm of the mindset, like, you know, you, we need to reach our hands out. Like we have a free economy here for the most part. Um, and how can we help others that have been left behind by their own governments? They can use capitalism to really promote their way of life. Again, create that stability. So I love, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, it's, it's when people listen to the vulnerability and people opening up, um, you know, we're all so similar in so many ways and mm -hmm. people really do appreciate that so a lot of self-help books yes <laughs> me and audible on 2x like i'm like self-help books throw my way <laughs> i get that i do mm -hmm. so i may or may not have put crystals in my bra at one point like um i've tried it oh out. yeah oh they're 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 around the room right now i'm oh, like yeah. just around they're up in my and i have a little shelf up there with sunshine <laughs> that comes through and i like seeing what shoots rainbows around the room so yeah i'm i'm all into everything so anything that makes me smile you know and it's not hurting anybody uh, i'll do it i've got a little hula dancer little icon totem thing on my dashboard and my husband just shakes his head but i went surfing once and so i get to i get to have him <laughs> Um, like the t-shirt. Love it. <laughs> exactly. But so I, I know that you are a crafter. You grew up doing crafts and you love it. So was this just a natural, you know, once you found this silk yarn, you're like, wow. And, or was it like, how does this made it? I'm just trying to figure out like, how yeah. did that discovery happen? Like my crafting drove my family crazy. So <laughs> I... It was like, and it still is like that, like my God bless my husband, because I have crafts in every nook and cranny of our house. And like, we, we just moved to New Hampshire. So now we're in like a, a 250 year old, like small little house. And it's fabulous. Like to me, I'm like, Ooh, I'm all cocooned. But like, even in my office here, I'm like, oh, I have partially done you know, stuff there and stuff behind me. So it's, it never ends. 
I don't know what it was about crafting, like just from a young age, like in, I made up a lot of things. Like I was a kid that like, I, you could just kind of give me a pile of whatever. And I would just create something. Like, it wasn't like I did kits or anything like that. It wasn't that so much. It was, I don't know, whatever. And I just like kind of immersed myself in like origami. I mean, I think we all kind of maybe went through those phases, but I don't know. It really stuck with me. Then I went to, um, for college, I went to Clarkson university, which is in upstate New York. So it's engineering and business, great school, but like very corporate driven. And I knew that something was off because I would sit in my room and do like metal sculpture and sewing. (laughs) And I remember my one roommate, she was a chemical engineer and it was like stark orderly. And mine was like, Hey, Hey. (laughs) (laughs) I, and I just, I had no one in, like, I had no mentorship in my life. That was like, you know, a life in the arts is actually a thing. Like I think, you know, the, the common stereotype is like, you know, just all artists are poor, broke, and they starve all the time. And, um, you know, I have a fear of cash, you know, I come from like a divorced family. So I'm like, I need to make cash. So, um, I think that I didn't know it was a thing. And then when I got married, I wanted to learn how to knit. I already had like what I call my little tights, my Fisher price business mm-hmm. that I started. And I was like going to craft fairs, selling like home goods. I was able to source from India And then, um, I was like, I want to, I want to do the yarn thing. And I found this really cool yarn. And then that's how the business actually grew. I bought enough of it really. So I could just get the write off. I could get some stuff at cost for me, some yarn at cost for me. And I'm like, no, one's going to buy it. So the name darn good yarn was a joke. Like I was like, I'm just going to put up on the website so I can, I love it. And it was like, oh my God, this yarn actually, you know, it allows women to stay at home. And, um, and then it just, that it blossomed from there. Good for you. I mean, so now you are taking the trip. How did you go from, okay, now I've got to go to India. And and so you're not just, you are the supply chain. You're creating the supply chain for Mm -hmm. your product. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I I think you're the, you know, it's very rare, but I mean, it's just amazing. So how, how did this happen? Um, you know, when you say it like that, I'm like, you know, if you told me while I was doing like, Nicole, you're building your own supply chain. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore because it's too scary. Uh Um, I think I was just naive enough. Like I didn't listen to too many people, which I guess my stubbornness really paid off in that way. But, um, a lot of it originally was online because I was traveling with my husband who was an engineer and. Um, like we didn't see that part of the story coming cause I went to Clarkson, but, um, <laughs> we traveled around for his job. Like I'm talking every three to six months, we were moving all over the U S. So I was starting my business, like kind of like, I always called it like almost like the wizard of Oz. Like don't look behind the curtain. Cause I played wife during the day. I'm like, the dinner's done. The laundry's folded. The house is clean. And then I would go play entrepreneur when he'd be at work. Um, and I said play because I really, I'm like, I just wanted to offset my expenses as a person, which I guess that's not how marriage works necessarily. But I was like, I was just so intent on not being a drag on him. Like, sure. and again, these are like my, my own psychological things, I guess. But um, from that, I was able to just online, like meet people I worked with. And I just knew how to ask the right questions that were pointed enough to really understand where they were getting supply from. Um And then it was like two or three years after that, actually going over to India. Like, and it was as the business grew. I mean, you have to think the first 
So I've been in business 14 years. The first six or seven, I was by, I was on my own okay. as, a, as a business owner. So like the first year I was in business, I did $8,000 in sales. I was working two other jobs and doing the housewife thing too. So it wasn't like at this like scaled space. When we actually started to make like big girl money, that's like when I was over there and making the supplier relationships and things like that. So that's, that is the, I, I was like international studies major. And I always had this idea that I was going to live abroad and, and basically do what you're doing. So, and I never made that jump. Like, how do you make that happen? So mm -hmm. I want to know, you know, you, you meet these people, you're like, I'm going to come meet you and I'm going to see what's going on. And was it that you wanted to scale up? Is that what was going on? Um, no, I, because I never really thought the business was going to grow. Like I've actually been the worst projector of my business. <laughs> I'm like, no one's going to buy yarn made out of trash on the internet. No one's going to buy apparel that's made out of trash on the internet. Like, and it's, I've always been this, like, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm like, I'm signed up for the newsletter. I actually had a mentor of mine. He was like, you know, Nicole, if you were a guy, you'd be bragging like crazy. Like, I, I don't want to get like, you know, man or <laughs> sort of thing. But he was like, a dude would be like, oh yeah, 10X this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I just, I'm not that person. And because I always think it's going to fail. <laughs> I really went over there to just see like what else we can be doing as a company to help serve and, you know, is there more medical assistance? Is there more education that we can do? Because there were, I was starting to see cracks, like once we hit, I want to say maybe like a million in sales, um, there were things that were happening. Uh, a perfect example, like our yarn would come in not at the right weight. And for like a crafter, that's, you know, you might as well set the ball of yarn on fire. It's useless because you're doing a project and it needs to be specific. Um, and I realized that they had moved from, uh, like old school scales, like with weights to oh. a digital scale. And the women were illiterate and they couldn't even read numbers on a scale. And I'm like, oh. we need to fix this. Yes. So bringing in people to teach literacy and then bringing up the community that way. So there's like those kind of other little pieces of the puzzle that you can't get from Skype or anything else. Okay. So, and I just want the listeners to know that, um, you know, you were saying trash, this is, um, an upcycled silk yarn. <laughs> so I just want to clarify. Um, but it's a beautiful thing because what you've done is you've found these silk products that people no longer want and you upcycle it. So do you mind explaining the process of that? Sure. So there's kind of two tracks. Um, Actually, we'll have the video um, on our show notes. Yeah, so. or I can make a little clip so of that. If anyone wants to see it or they can go to the website. I also have other materials like silk is just one thing. Like we have other really cool materials like banana fiber, which actually is like the bark of the banana tree that comes off and then it gets boiled and then spun down and it creates these cellulose fibers that um, are almost like polyester. Nice. So we have cool stuff there. We have like reclaimed cottons, but <clears throat> for the silk where we started, uh, there's kind of two different tracks. One is when you have really high end pillows and cushions um, they are sometimes stuffed with silk. And when that fluff goes in, um, there's a really high percentage of waste. It just kind of flies all over. It's a really inefficient process. So I have people go in and reclaim, it's called noil silk. And then I can control it enough to control thickness. And that makes a very consistent yarn. So that's what, this is hundred percent recycled. Beautiful. Um, so this is something that you would probably say, this looks like yarn that I've seen maybe in a big box store. Mm -hmm. um, and we change the colors on this. We can change like the thickness on it. 
Um, and this is really good for just very standard projects that you're like, I need this to measure a certain way, and this is what you would use. And then the other, um, the other silk products. So these two actually come from the same source, believe it or not. Like this is a ribbon, and then this is uh, more of a traditional yarn, but it's hand spun. And these are just actually strips of material of the silk saris. Um, let me just show you here so you That's can see. Beautiful. Yeah. And they're hand torn, like rip, 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 and then they're sewn end to end. And it was that sewing, like watching these women sew, and they, I'm like, you guys are actually great seamstresses. Um, and that's where we got into clothing about six years ago. And that's now about half of our revenue. So again, it's like, it's almost a backwards way. It's like mm -hmm. looking at what their capabilities were and then building the business around the capabilities. And it's not like a typical way, I think, to build the business, but it makes it good for everyone. It makes it sustainable for everyone. With this yarn, um, it's this material, but it's shredded up into like back down to the fiber and then it's hand spun. So you can see the mix of colors. That's beautiful. Here. It's beautiful. Is very similar to what you see here. Mm -hmm. um, and what you can do with these is you can um, strip out all the color and then over dye on it. And then you get like this, like what well, it's multi-tonal. Like, so if you dye it green, the purple will never completely, or the indigo might not completely come out. So you'll get like this blue, this greeny blue thing going on. And it's, it's stunning. Like yes. so cool. Blows, so. Good and I like you. too, like, like you said, like you build it around what they're capable of, but you also build around like what they're capable of learning. Like mm -hmm. you were saying that they were illiterate and then you brought in someone to teach literacy. Like, like that's so awesome. Like you didn't just say, okay, we've hit a stump. I'm going to go somewhere else. Like you were like, yeah. no, let's, let's keep it going. Yeah. It's the figuring it out. And I think that's like the, you can't start with profit. Like profit is definitely part of it. And the concept, um, if anyone is like starting a business, uh, I would encourage you to look at a concept called triple bottom line uh, framework. And it's the idea that, you know, yeah, business needs to be profitable. And I really am a proponent of like no margin, no mission. Like if you can't make cash, like you can't continue to perpetuate what you're doing. And then you really just are a charity because there's like a shelf life to it in most cases. Um, with, with the triple bottom line framework, you're, measuring your company's success on three things. So it's profitability, and then the people who are either part of your supply chain or who work at your company, how they're being taken care of, their longevity with your company, and then the planet is the third P. And that's looking at, you know, what is my actual impact? Am I just like flipping something on Amazon that I'm getting and it's, it's really environmentally like hard um, on the earth? Or is it something that's very thoughtfully sourced and we're using scrap material that's not adding to um, like the fast fashion issues and the craft the craft um, industry, $44 billion industry, but that's kind of like the shadow fast fashion. Um, I don't think people realize, like if you go into a big box store and you look at the back of where these things are made and what's actually in them, like glitter, for example, we all love glitter. Mm -hmm. It's terrible for it's the environment. <laughs> so it's, it's this like kind of leech on the fast fashion movement. And I think it's it's primed to be changed as well, just like a lot of other industries. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I, I was not aware of that. And that's a new thing for me, um, just kind of, and I, I know that you um, you sell clothes a lot online. I do. I turn, I, so my whole thing is sustainability too. If mm -hmm. I ever start a business, it will be for the environment, like period. So I, a couple of years ago, when the whole fast fashion revolution thing came about, I like swore off 
you know, I'm not going to like name drop all the stores, but I um, started selling my clothes and only buying my clothes um, from secondhand. So that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And it's, it's interesting, but I, I mean, you've, it, you were saying like over a million pounds of material you've upcycled. Yeah. I think it's like we're at 2 million right now. Wow. That's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> Imagine if everyone did that and what you guys are doing. Phenomenal. I, mean, I think, you know, there's so much opportunity like, and that's like, I get so excited. So if someone, and I meet like crafters and stuff that like want to start their own business and like they do their thing on Etsy and it's great because that's where I started. It's like, okay, how do you, again, starting with love, like how can you just add a little bit more? It's going to definitely be harder. Like I, there, mm-hmm. trust me, I'm like, I could have not picked a more difficult thing to sell online because our <laughs> skirts are one of a kind. Like, and I just go like, we're killing ourselves here. Like this is, it's really hard. Like, I can't just say like, this is exactly the yarn you're going to get in the world of the internet. People are, I mean, you can look up reviews. There's some people that have ripped us a new one. Um, Well, not our customers. So um, I I get what you're saying. We have to be able to print the same label three years later with the same colors. So if printers change because things evolve mm -hmm. or ink changes, we are in trouble. Completely understand it's crazy, but I just encourage people to say like, what's the little extra thing though, that you can do to add into what you're building. So if you're manufacturing or thinking about starting something here in the U S like, can you hire someone that's maybe at risk or has maybe an intellectual disability or there's things that you can do to just build into it. And it does seem a little bit harder, but it's, it makes the whole like microcosm of your business. Amazing. Then like that's, okay, yeah, go make money. Like, go work for a company if you want to go mm-hmm. make money. But if you're doing this for yourself and you want to leave an in, a, a, a impact, like that's to me the way to run, run a company. Yeah, and, and you know you're making the world a better place. And that is really, at the end of the day, that's the mission. That's what's getting you out of bed. That's what's getting you excited. So, you know, one thing here I did want to point out is the Yarn of the Month Club. And reading into that, I wanted you to explain why that's so important. Yeah. So um, $10 a month. If you are interested in yarn, it's great. Um, It's one of our, it's our most important product um, because, you know, the subscriptions are awesome. It allows uh, a customer to just experience something usually at a nice discount, like it is in our case. Um, And then we also have club perks too that, um, you know, know, like discounted shipping and and fun things like that. And but then what it does on the side of our supply chain is it just creates consistency. You know, in the world of like, you know, if you think about typical retail, you open the shop up, you're like, oh, okay, I hope the website works today. Yeah. <laughs> but with um, having the consistency of a subscription, again, the customer knows that every month they're getting this great yarn. But then on the other side of it, it's also then supporting back to individuals. So uh, for every hundred subscriptions that we have, it creates one full-time job um, over that period. So that's like, it's such an easy way to, again, create the sustainability and um, and jobs in these areas that, I mean, yeah, it can have up to 10% unemployment, which you, know, you think about that in the U.S., it would be unheard of. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So some of the benefits, and I know that you're really enticing your customers to kind of come into the Yarn of the Month Club. It seems mm-hmm. like you're building a community in there. It looks really cool. Some fun tips and details and different um, projects as well. You say community, I say cult. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're like smiling. I love it. 
<laughs> Look, I'm like, we're going to have caftans. No one has to wear a bra. Like, I have yeah. this all in my little, like, darn good cult. It's, it's the Church of Darn Good Yarn. I mean, who wouldn't go to that? I love it. That's great. <laughs> you know what? I love caftans, I have to say. Like, in summertime, I'm in my caftan all the time. It's bomb. <laughs> like, yeah, so it's like... It's kind of my excuse to be out by the pool, but really, I'm I'm really just in it a lot. So I have a couple of them. Absolutely wear them all. I love it. So, I love it. Um, and I, I did want to ask, how many employees are you, I guess, do you have working in India? And I know that you work with co-ops, and I wanted you to explain that a little bit. Yeah, so at any given time, it will, it can swell up to 600. We usually like around four 400, um, like as we ramp up into say holiday buying, you we still have these small communities uh, where we'll have sewers and they're working in their house. And like, if we have an increase of order or say maybe we're consolidating um, a sea freight shipment, we'll just like kind of fill it out and then it'll be extra hours for them. But the way it works, I have like, there are small business owners in India, they have their export licenses and they're small businesses um, and I'm working coordinating with them. But in most instances, I am their largest customer. Um, and I've been with, I mean, my main, what I what someone would call a vendor, um, I mean, I've been with them over a decade at this point. So nice. it's like, they're really extensions of, of what we're doing. And again, I think because we do have so much understanding in, around what the recycled product really is, it allows us to just have a very functional relationship. There was a a larger brand that tried to step into our world a, oh. a couple of years ago. And um, I got tipped off luckily and was able to like outmaneuver very quickly. And it's like those sort of things that it's all the small businesses working together. Okay. That's scary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I, just- had to, I had to go a little Tony Soprano. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm, I'm from New Jersey originally, so I guess I don't know. Came easily. You know, <laughs> hey, it, you know, you're going to make sure that these people are are getting a, a safe environment to work in. And that was something I wanted to ask, too. How did you find your, your business partners that you agreed with and you found that common moral moral ground with them? It was kissing frogs. I mean, it's it, there's vetting. And I think not there are mistakes people say you know get back up when you make a mistake it, it is like you know you you get some people and you're like that price is too low for what it should be or you can I was also able to tell um when I would get the packaging in like if how perfect it was and there's so much you can tell and it, it's those like weird little details um I think if you're super empathetic and always trying to people please like you probably have a really good eye for it it was a lot of trial and error there are good people like I I didn't go in going like I'm never going to find anyone like I just had faith in the process like I know that there were other business owners out there like me that they want to take care of their own country people and like let's just figure this out and work together it didn't happen overnight though oh sure it's a it's a process (laughs) absolutely so, and you also have something called um, Dar- the Darn Good Fund and um, also like about planting a tree and mm-hmm. do darn good. I love how you're using darn good and everything. It's so fun. Um, so I, w- I was hoping that you could tell us about that because, I mean, I'm going on after this and I'm going to be buying a skirt just because I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I, I love this. I I'm love joining everything. the Yarn of the Month Club. I know. <laughs> I, I love everything you're doing, but I definitely want to hear about the tree and the good and all of that, all, all the, the love stuff. 
I, so yeah, our darn good find um, is our way of, it would be easy for us to write a check to a nonprofit and go like, okay, here, here you go, use that. And like these, I get these organizations do so good. But again, I go back to, um, there's a book called World of Three Zeros. And uh, I really encourage anyone who's interested in like the conscious capitalist movement and triple bottom line to read that because it talks about, again, going back to create sustainability within, um, within these small like societal circles. Um, so the darn good fund is sort of the offset to help with anything that's not being, I mean, we all have like our bills, right? And then you're like, oh, I have to pay for kids college. How am I gonna do that? And when you're working, you know, you think about hourly wages, like the thought of sending your daughter to college or the thought of having her get married off, you're probably gonna choose the thing that's been done generations before you. And to really see that change is to do the things, you know, going back to terrorism, not having education, not having the food, not taking care of the women and minorities within that society. That's where trouble starts to happen because the thread of the fabric of the society starts to then get tattered. So when you can kind of help rebuild that and backfill where maybe that's been taken away because of socioeconomic status, when we say, okay, we're gonna pay for your daughter to go to school, that then lifts the whole family up. And that's again, that, that multi-generational, it's a, it's a slow shift. And that's why you can't, like when I heard that big company was moving in, I knew it was gonna be a pump and dump product for them. They were gonna do it. They were gonna beat up the supply chain and then they were gonna be gone in two or three years. Like this takes a long time. And so what we do with the darn good fun is, uh, you know, for example, someone, it's not like they have like Medicare or Medicaid or a lot of our social, um, social services that we have. So we had someone that needed eye surgery uh, recently, so we paid for that. And so it's just an offset of um, a portion of our profit that goes back to something dedicated. Or, you know, during the second, the really major second wave of COVID in India, we were actually, uh, we took the funds that we collect from the Darn Good Fund and used it to ship back two pallets full of PPE that we had. And then we are corporate sponsors of trees.org. So we have certain products that we, um, Mark and and we try to do it almost like a carbon offset. So we have like wooden yarn bowls. So then that's a an offset that we decided internally we're gonna have a tree planted for that. Nice, I love the offset. Mm-hmm. So that's it's just so conscious every mm-hmm. step of it. Absolutely, very intentional. So you know, you you've been so open and you've kind of been explaining things as you go. I love the fact that you are married to an engineer. Does he help you kind of figure some of these puzzles out here and there? <laughs> um. He came to work for me three years ago. Uh, he does a lot of the dev. Um, I, I, I can't I can't say enough good things actually because he also takes. I have a five year old daughter. He helps on the like the development project management of the website. Um, we're, we're married. We married sixteen years, and I want to have another sixteen. <laughs> so like there are some things strategically like he would be a perfect COO, but like I want to have a marriage, and um, yeah. <laughs> we try to like just. Keep it separate. I will tell anyone though, if you work with your spouse, even if you are like in separate departments, because of course we still overlap and there is not a dinner that goes by where we're not talking about the business, like ever. I talk about the business (laughs) nonstop. I really recommend this just as an experience here. Keeping on like retainer, a marriage counselor 
ideally someone who has had small business experience, like no joke, because I, I kissed a lot of frogs in the therapy department and the understanding of the dynamics of what it means to own a small business. Like if we don't do this, we can't make payroll next week. Like that's the stress we're actually dealing with. And if we don't, I'm going to have to write a check off of my personal line of credit to make this happen. I think every small business owner has been there, but now when you have two people in that boat and you're like, oh shit, (laughs) (laughs) we need to make this happen. And there is that real stress. Um, It can, it can skew things. And if, you know, I've definitely had my daughter say to us, it sounds like you two need a friend break. Oh. You have to be conscious about bringing that into <laughs> your family, you know? I, I love how she worded that. That's so mature. Yes. She's our, yeah. I love it. Well, I'll I don't be- know where she came. I do know where she came from, but she's, <laughs> she's the counselor you have on retainer. <laughs> well, it's funny because I'll, I'll be honest. I never once considered bringing my husband into the business. <laughs> And I actually do go home and we have dinner every night and we never talk about the business. So I do have that break, you know, so I can't imagine. Yeah, it's we, we, there we, we were joking at a dinner like a couple of weeks ago. And because like, I don't know if you hear about the real housewives or whatever. This is so yeah. off track. But basically, two separate housewives in two different cities are like being arrested for fraud. Oh, they are. Yeah, one of <laughs> one of which, one of which is saying that it, like her husband was doing a bunch of things that she had no idea, okay. and, and we're like throwing shade at her at dinner, and Dave is sitting there like, I mean, I don't know what goes on at name levels <laughs> at all. <laughs> He's like, that would be me. I'm like, don't worry, you're fine. You're not going to jail. <laughs> We have a great accountant. We're good. Uh, yeah, no, it I is know. quite funny. So, but good for you that you had that ability to, you know, intertwine it because yeah. you're living your mission. You really are in everything you do. So I, yeah. I don't know how you would be able to do that without having him on board. There have definitely been times like the business is not the the best topic to talk about. I mean, it's, you know, we, we went through COVID and I, I joke, like, I'm just happy to still be standing. Um, but it, it was like very serious. Everyone's like, you're a craft company. You must've did so well. I'm like, no, the big boxes did well because they had more cash to spend on advertising. Like yes. we were just like, let's stay open. Let's keep the warehouse open. And I remember like, it was, it was the intensity of it. Um, and, and your supply chain and the people making the product. It was gnarly. Oh I yeah. Mean, it was gnarly. I was going back, actually back through my notebooks, um, like cleaning things up and like during COVID and it was like, almost like, um, it was almost traumatic to read it, like just what the company was going through and like how I was trying to just figure out the next, the next step for us. You know, I actually, Nicole, that would be a really cool story to write. That really would be, I think people would, I think businesses or even teachers would like to teach that. Yeah. Um, anybody. Yeah. I, I would, I'd be interested in reading it because you truly had a supply chain that like half a world away that you had to keep healthy. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. had a question about that, especially like with India and the the wave is the waves of the pandemic as badly as they hit. How was that? It was hard. It was actually horrible. Um, there were times like there because we're dealing with people that are generally, and I'm not, I don't want to get like too political about, but we're dealing with individuals um, or artisans who are generally lower caste. Um, and I'm not. You can't say like, oh, caste system is bad or whatever. Like. You could say that we kind of have that in our country. We just don't actually talk about it. There were times where there was martial law, like you had um, armed armed soldiers 
in communities. Um, a lot of stories of men only getting vaccination and not the women. Um, really like heartbreaking, like how is this 2022 or 2021? Like, and luckily it wasn't all great. Like we had people that got really sick and we just did everything we could. Like again, sending the PPE back that we had because a lot of the villages we work with are, are remote and they weren't, they were last to get, you know, it's like upstate New York when Manhattan kind of sequestered all of our PPE at the first wave. And we're like, oh, what about us? Um, and who's going to backfill that? Um, you know, not as severe, but you know, you know, the analogy is there. Um, yeah, it was, things were just shut down. And I remember us planning our inventory. I said like, man, we might not get a shipment for like another six months. Like we kind of just have to make this last. So in some ways, like the slowdown, the slowdown of our sales was kind of okay because it probably allowed us to sustain, even though like my CFO was like, dude, we have a cash flow, major cash flow issue. And we're still recovering from that. I think that's how we stayed open because we didn't have to put the pressure on them. Like we need this shipment. It's like, Mm -hmm. this kind of is what it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, you embraced it. It's, it sounds like in a very balanced way and mindful way, just going, I just want people to get through this safely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah it wasn't about, I mean, we weren't going to make money through that. I mean, again, I looked at a lot and everyone would, I wanted to punch people in the face. Like you must be doing so well right now. <laughs> You're like, no, actually, thank God no one's crafting because. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people were crafting. Yeah. They just weren't using darn a yard, which, okay, fine. Like good. Cause I needed that inventory. Yeah. Because what happened when we got to holidays, I had my stock, which Good. I was unable to like, you know, mm-hmm. move through. Nice. It was wacky the way it worked out. Wow. Well, it's almost like, you know, you're, you've been in business for a long time now. So you know the cycles. You know you were able to kind of see ahead and, and plan for it too, as much yeah. as you could, I guess. So, yes. yeah, um, yeah it, we we had some not, not obviously like 3M um, supplies our, our labels. Yeah. Um, that's the material we use, and they definitely had huge shortages. So, yeah, it was it was scary. It really was. So, just getting through. But we were shut down, you know, like you for those mm-hmm. six weeks, you know, and and then kids weren't going to camp and school. So that that first year, it was really slow, definitely. Yeah, and and part of that was fine because the, the supply ch- the supply chain for us had also slowed down. So yeah, I felt like. I look back and, you know, my lesson, usually I would white knuckle things and try to control the shit out of it. And I I felt like it was like, I was surfing a very hard wave. Like, not that I surf, but like, if I just (laughs) imagine that I surf, like, I just imagine it like that. Like, we're just going to ride this for what it is. And it almost taught me to not worry into the future. Like, of course, you're still going to plan as an owner, but you kind of just take it. And then you're like, okay. And I started to rely on I did, I did evolve as a leader where normally I was like always catastrophizing in my head. And I was just like, you know what? I can kind of deal with any, like give it to me. And I know I can react to it now. Like I got like a better faith in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, am I still going to make the wrong decision? Sure. But it's not like, I'm not freaking out about it as much. Like I I've learned, like, it's not COVID. Like it, we're, we're getting to the other side of it now. And Come on, like I don't want to say bring it, like I, I mean, I don't, don't, universally, <laughs> I know, don't, don't do that. <laughs> like I'm, it's 
it was it was a really interesting transition though um an evolution even as a company it's like okay this came in wrong let's deal with it like not a big deal moving forward i love that you're so resilient and now you know you're like i'm tough i can handle this yeah so i good for you i and love that too, like having for both of you like having been like a small business owner for over a decade before having to deal with an unprecedented literal pandemic like what mm -hmm. the heck that was nobody could have seen that coming so but, that's but here, the I, and i just want to i kind of just want to add on too so like if again like thinking about people who are listening to this podcast mm -hmm. and thinking about starting a business you probably were home if you have kids and you're like a mom and you were running the the Google, like the school and like every, and doing all of that, you were running a business. You were like, yes. and, but you were doing it day to day. And like, that's where I'm always like, I, I, you know, I interview a lot of people for, for jobs and it's so interesting. Like, again, it is, a, it, I do send, like see trans male, female sometimes, and we don't give ourselves enough credit. Like you can manage the shit out of stuff. Like if you can manage your kids through COVID and keep your house running and your family fed, if you're doing like more of that role. But I think women got that kind of re-added on. It wasn't part of their world. Um, it makes you a project manager. It makes you a cost analyst. It, it like it made you all of these other things that like companies really freaking need. They need, and I joke like, <laughs> We have some roles in our company. I'm like, this is the mother of this. Like, I just need a mom in this position to kind of knock some heads around. And they wind up being <laughs> the best employees in that way. So I just, I encourage that. Like, if you're on the fence, like you probably have more skills than you need. It's just putting that different filter on. I, I think, you know, I, if I had more mentorship around the artist side of things, like I would probably self-classify as an artist. But then when I think about my business, I'm like, I'm just using a different set of paints. Like I'm not using paint, paint. I'm using business paint. I'm using a little of this, a little of that. And that's how I'm kind of creating my, my work. Um, and I think that that's like an opportunity to apply the different filter from like domestic or at home to starting your own enterprise. Oh, I love that. So well said. Mm -hmm. And thank you I for sharing that. that. Absolutely. And I, I, completely agree. I feel like we definitely underestimate ourselves as women. And yeah. I love that you just shared that. Mm -hmm. Where where do you see darn good yarn going in the next, you know, three, five, 10 years? I gave my landlord notice. I have a 12,000 square foot warehouse. So I have 18 months to build a warehouse. Holy smokes. Woo! That's great. Congratulations. I, like a little I know. I'm scared shitless a little bit, but It'll be okay. Of course it will. Oh my gosh, you've Worst dealt with case, more. We'll just get a whole bunch of storage units. I mean, if you're in the central New York area, I mean, they're like around every corner. They're next, next to every Stewart's. And if you're listening to someplace else, like Stewart's is like the gas station everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And there's like usually a, a self-storage unit right next to it. So we're either running out of there or I'm going to have a brand new, beautiful warehouse. Um, and my vision for the space is... Um, part warehouse, but like almost as if you were to go to um, a winery or a brewery and you can see the operations through glass. I want to have that experience um, to just sort of see like an active live warehouse. Cause it's, I mean, it's really cool when we get a 40 foot container in a yarn and you're just seeing these bales come off and you're ripping them open. I mean, that's fun to watch. Sure. And they're um, beautiful. And then you have, and then uh, the additional plan is um, having a community area 
So, you know, I think people think like darn good yarn and it's unfortunate, again, I named it as a joke because I didn't think it was going to be anything. Um, <laughs> but we offer so much and I think the word like lifestyle business gets thrown around a lot, but we really have morphed into a lifestyle business. We have customers that come to us for craft supplies, then there are apparel, some home goods as well. And there is a bigger, um, there's a bigger call for that community or cult, depending on who you're talking to of women just looking to be empowered and tap into their own personal creativity as a form of self-expression. And even like mental health, like we joke about like craft therapy and art therapy. That's a valid thing. I mean, my crafting has helped me through like depressive episodes too. So that community center will house not only, um, you know, of course, like your knitting classes, weaving classes, things like that, but bringing in more holistically minded um, classes. So like your yoga, you know, doing sound bath sessions, things like that there too. And then if my COO lets me have it, I want an atrium with um, an indoor garden with plants in it that would be used for dyeing so we can do dyeing classes on site. Oh, so, that is so cool. Kat, if you're listening, please. <laughs> please allow me to have this. I please love that. <laughs> that is so cool. So, you know, you you have these high-end knitting stores around. Do you do you see darn good yarn going into those stores? Yeah, we're, we're revamping our wholesale program right now. So I'm like, I'm redeveloping it from the ground up. I used to manage it on my own. And then, I mean, I think like any small business, you hand something off and then you're on to the next fire. Um, so I'm... Restart, I'm actually in the process of restarting that whole program. So we're bringing on some direct salespeople and building up the technology behind that. Uh, wholesale for me used to be about half of my business and I let that go. Shame on me for that, but um, there's an opportunity again. Absolutely. You can reinvent it and make it better. So yeah, yeah I, I agree. It's not lost. And that is, it, I don't know, it's just, it's such a cool thing. I really... I love the mission of what you've done and just it's, it truly is amazing. So, and it's, it's a beautiful product. It's absolutely gorgeous. And like you said, art therapy, you kind of threw that in there, but it totally, everything about your product is art therapy from the yeah. beginning of the supply to the end when the, you know, when the project and the craft is done, it's just awesome. It's, a, it's like, you know, if you cook, right. If you're really into that and you think about, you know, the farm to table movement, mm -hmm. that was a thing because it, you know, your food does actually taste different when it's made, you know, when the farmer gives a shit and then it, it all the way, it goes all the way to your pot. Like that's, it, it does really make a difference. And I think, you know, fiber art um, in particular, you know, that is before the industrial revolution, like people made their clothes. Like this was very much a part of who we are as humans. And I think that's why the maker movement and why people like did craft because it's, you know, you think about what we touch all day, it's glass, it's plastic, it's all these man-made materials. When you get back to crafting, it, it does do something with your brain um, and it gets back to this primal sense and it, it kind of centers you and brings you back down to earth a little bit, like not being in your phone. And I'm, I'm naturally introverted. Like I need my craft time. And when I really just bought into that, like I'm a happier like person. I did want to go back to um, talking about wholesale. Again, mm -hmm. people who are starting businesses, uh, a really good resource I use, and it's free online. It's called the Business Model Canvas. And if anyone's not familiar with it, it's a very visual way to almost do like a pre-business plan. And one of the, so like there's squares you fill out and there's a, you can YouTube like how to use the Business Model Canvas. And then I think it's, um, 
if you look up like free tools, there are free tools online to build your own canvas or you can just write it down on paper. Like I love my paper. So I'm always, you know, doing that. But the idea there and one of the sort of modules that you fill out um, talks about channels. And I would tell you that that's probably one of the reasons I was able to get um, an escape velocity. I think oftentimes I see uh, people starting out and they're like, I'm just going to sell at craft fairs. Or I'm just going to do this. You have to really think about the whole system together because when I got wholesale working, it fed my retail and it fed these other things. And when something kind of like slumped, if wholesale slumped, I still had these other things going. Otherwise I would have been sunk. Um, so it is important, I, I think. And I don't think it's really held up enough. Like you can't just do one channel. You have to think multi-channel. No, and, and thank you again for sharing such great information. And I do want the listeners to know, I mean, your your business is just, it has, I don't want to say exploded, but just growth, the growth year over year. I mean, you continue to make, what what is that? Is it Forbes 5,000? Uh, Inc. 5,000. Inc. 5,000. Thank you. So five years in a row, the last five years. Yeah. So, I mean people love your products and I always hear about it around town too. And I just, so to also people know it's hard to sustain a business too, when you have that much growth, you know, oftentimes businesses will implode because they can't handle the growth and you've managed this so well. So fantastic. Thank you for sharing all of this. And I did, I did want to just, you know, end on like your favorite quote or saying, or something that you might want to just provide the listener. I mean, you've added so much, provided so much great information and advice. Yes. Oh man. I don't, I mean, so many, so many quotes, right. Uh, but I think that, <laughs> or your, your words to live by. The yeah. My, my word, my words to live by are like, don't you can do whatever the hell you want, but I don't, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that being interested in a lot of different things, not just business. Like I won't just read, like I'll read business books, but where, and I got into almost going too much in business books. And then when I started to like do the things I love again, like watercolor and like kind of Nicole's weird, Nicole's weird craft of the day, getting back into these things that I really love that make me tick. Mm -hmm. It made my brain better. And I was able to think more creatively about the business problems I had. So I would just encourage people to like, you want to be focused, but not so focused that it like sucks out the personality of what you're doing. Um, and there were so, and I think, you know, going through COVID, it was a battle pace. Like I had to kind of be in that space, but now on the other side, I'm like, screw it. Like I, I'm like, even at two o'clock today, I'm going into a watercolor lesson. Do I have email? Yeah. But I know that that will make me a better leader on the other end and a better business owner on the other end. Almost like, you know, if you don't take a shower as a mom, you're not really going to be an effective mom. And it's, it's so similar in that way. So I, I guess that's like my, my bit of encouragement um, is to say sort of multidisciplinary. I, so, so, you know, like you live a creative life. That's how you, how you think, how your mind works. And I ended up going back uh, years later when people were going to law school or getting their, their master's or having a family, I went back to art school and, you know, everybody could have said, what are you crazy? And I'm like, and honestly, it helped me, it helped me learn how I think. Mm -hmm. And it really did impact how I, I can focus. Yeah. And it just was the best thing I could have ever done for myself. So I, I hear what you're saying. And we all have our things, but you have to pursue your passions in order to be good at 
running your business. Yes. You will. No one will. It's like working out. No one's going to do it for you. Like I go on to Udemy and yeah, I take my Reiki classes and my crystal classes, but it like, it brings in the spice. Like mm-hmm. that's what it does. And it's, it, it makes it like, I almost took the fun out of business for such a long time because it was, it was so crazy. And um, I don't know. I, I think that that's the way to have, and my staff is happier because I'm not freaking out all the time. Like it's just, everything is a lot better now. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> well, thank you. Fantastic yeah. thing yeah. to share. So, and I think, Em, do you have anything? No, I think that that was, I think this was great. Amazing. And just thank you for sharing all of thank your you. wonderful Thanks advice. Nicole, thank you so much for sharing. Darn good love. Darn good love, I almost said. Oh my uh-huh. goodness. <laughs> kind of perfect you did share your darn good love so but darn we're gonna do we'll all do it spread the darn good love section yeah, yeah. <laughs> but your darn good yarn and i i love your story and i'm so excited for people to hear it so thank you thank you thanks so much thank you for coming today and listening to from the basement up be sure to check our show notes on namebubbles.com for all of the links and great information the guest provided Subscribe on your listening platform and if you can, give us that five-star review. Have a great day.